Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. You honor us by finding us and listening in. We pray this sermon stirs up your love for Jesus and grows you in your faith. But before we begin, we ask that you not let this podcast, or any podcast for that matter, replace the local church in your life. You need to be a member of a local congregation and under the shepherding of that flock's pastor. So please become part of a local church if you aren't currently. If you'd like more information about our church, please go to www.mountzionchula.org. Enjoy our podcast. You would turn with me in your Bibles to Joshua, the fourth chapter. As we uh, celebrate homecoming this morning, we're going to be turning to an Old Testament story about the people of Israel and their new leader, Joshua. We'll be in Joshua Uh, looking at the entirety of the fourth uh, chapter this morning. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this is recorded about the, uh, this part of the history of the nation of Israel. It says, when all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you will lodge tonight. Then in verse 4, Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up the twelve stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord had told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place they lodged and laid them down there. And Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they are there to this day. For the priest bearing the Ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished, that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. The people passed over in haste, and when all the people had finished passing over, the ark of the Lord and the priest passed over before the people. The sons of Reuben and the sons of God and the half-tribe of Manasseh passed over armed before the people of Israel, as Moses had told them. About 40,000 ready for war passed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him just as they had stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. 
And the Lord said to Joshua, command the priests bearing the ark of testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, come up out of the Jordan. And when the priest bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan, the soles of the priest's feet were lifted up on dry ground. The waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all of its banks as before. The people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they camped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we get started this morning. Lord, we thank you for the fact that we can come together this morning and that we can study your word together. Lord, that we can celebrate a rich and a vibrant history of Mount Zion, Lord. But mostly, Lord, so that we as your people who are gathered here this morning can remember the mighty things that the Lord has done here in our midst. And Lord, we ask that as we spend the next few moments together looking at your word, that you would keep our hearts and our minds focused upon you and attuned to you, Lord, so that we may leave here a people who don't look at each other praising ourselves, but look at you thinking about the mighty things you have done so that all people may know your name. For it is in your name that we pray. Amen. This morning, as we have gathered here to worship, we are here, I'm sure as most of you know, to celebrate the history, the long history of Mount Zion Baptist Church, one that stretches over 130 years. It is hard for us to even imagine at the places that Mount Zion has been and the things that it has seen in its long history. If you think about it, those who first founded Mount Zion that Aaron listed off, they didn't travel to this church how we all did this morning because cars did not exist. In fact, if you had told them that Mount Zion Baptist Church was in Tiff County, they would have said no because Tiff County did not exist yet. In fact, Tifton was just a raucous little town that was often referred to as the drunkard's sawmill because it was where drunks came to get jobs when they couldn't go anywhere else. In fact, most of our oldest buildings in town, both here in Chula and in the larger city of Tifton, are made out of brick because brick didn't burn when people got drunk and decided to start burning things down. But you know, this morning, as we celebrate homecoming and as we look at the amazing faithfulness of our God, as we look at an amazing faithfulness of the people who have come before us, we are tempted to look at the acres that were donated to establish the church, or the time that was volunteered, or the meals that were cooked. But just as much as we see here in Joshua chapter 4, 
we are not told to look at the 12 stones in Gilgal to see the Lord working. Because those 12 stones do not represent the people crossing the Jordan. They represent the mighty hand of their Savior pressing them on to the promised land. Just as much as today Mount Zion Baptist Church stands not as a testimony to the gifts given, the meals cooked, or the people volunteered, but as a memorial to the God who we serve, who has come and has been faithful to his people here on this land, in this location, for a hundred and thirty years. You see, it is very tempting for us when we look at this passage here in Joshua chapter 4. It kind of just, as we read it, it kind of just drops down. But if we were to read the first three chapters, what we would see is that the nation of Israel is at a crossroads. Moses has died. Joshua has been appointed the leader. And God says, it is time to lead my people into the promised land. It, the wandering years are over. 400 years of Egyptian slavery are over. The desert wandering period is over. It is time for God to lead his chosen people into the promised land. And they are looking across the Jordan River. They are looking across that mighty flowing river and they are saying, God, that is great that you're wanting to lead us to the promised land that you promised to us when we came out of Egypt. But there's only two problems. There's the Jordan River and there's the city of Jericho. God, how in the world are you going to fulfill your promises to your people? When we can't cross the Jordan and we can't take over Jericho. And God looks at them. God builds up Joshua. And he says, Joshua, I am going to lead your people. I'm going to lead my people to the promised land. And a river and a city can't stop it. You see, because as we are looking at this passage of Joshua chapter 4, I want you to notice three big themes that, point, that come from this passage. And that is the people of Israel, that God's chosen nation, they were not gloating in the fact that they were chosen, but they were following the Savior who had chosen them. Because they had an absolute focus on worshiping the Lord and on doing His purposes. Do you see here that the first thing we notice here is that the nation of Israel was focused on the purposes of God. We're not exactly sure where this crossing took place. You could go to the River Jordan today and we could guess a, a, a land span of where this actually took place. But Joshua has taken over the people of Israel and it is time for them finally to be able to enter the promised land. And what stands between them 
And the promised land is a whole bunch of water. It is big and it has to be crossed. Without a doubt, there's no way to get around it. You have to go through it. At some points, we estimate that probably the area that they were crossing was up to almost 400 feet across. At its depth, it's 10 feet deep. There is no way to move thousands of people across this river without a mighty work from God. And that is where God points to Joshua and he says, let the priest lead you across. And whenever they do, I will stop the river. Just as I did when you came out of Egypt and crossed the Red Sea. So so the people of Israel step into the river led by their priest and the river goes dry. All of a sudden, this mighty river that they had known about, that people had lived about, that people had depended on for their entire livelihood, all of a sudden goes dry. And they could have said, well, look at how great Joshua was. Look at how amazing of a leader Joshua is. But I want you to notice where Joshua continuously pointed them back to. And that is that God has a purpose for our nation. And that, he, that Joshua pointed to the fact that he was only the instrument that was being used for God's purposes. He had a singular focus on God is going to lead us into the promised land. His purpose is to restore his people. And he is going to do that by crossing us over the Jordan on dry ground. And the thing is, is that whenever we look at this, we can realize that God who was acting on behalf of his people and his purposes are still doing the same thing today. It is easy for us to get discouraged. It is easy for us to look around and for us to say, this just isn't the place it was 130 years ago, 131 years ago. You know, 131 years ago, everybody went to church. But now, it seems as no one's interested. You know, 131 years ago, people just poured in and they wanted to hear the preaching and the teaching of God's word. But this younger generation just doesn't seem interested. And it's easy for us to get stuck in that line of thinking, just like it was easy for Joshua to say, there is a mighty river in front of us, and I don't know how we're going to ford it, but God says we're going to get to the other side, so let's walk in that water. You see, Joshua was absolutely focused on the purposes of God, and the purposes of God are just as active today as they were 4,000 years ago. We're not standing on the banks of the Jordan River, but we are standing on the banks of a changing culture. We are standing on the banks of a changing time. But here in Joshua chapter 4, 
we see that God has his purposes. God has his promises. And he always keeps both. We may not understand what is going on. But there is no reason for us to be discouraged. We may not be able to see how God's going to do things in the years to come. But we can look back at 131 year history and we can say that if he pulled Mount Zion Baptist Church and he pulled his people throughout all of Tiff County through World War I, World War II, a Great Depression, and Vietnam, he can pull us through whatever challenges lie ahead. Because he has his purposes. His promises are that his gospel will go forward. And we know that that will happen. And so I want you to see here that Joshua has a complete focus. Joshua and the people of Israel have a complete focus on God's purposes. Because they are absolutely devoted to their Lord. Remember, there's a reason Moses didn't get to see the promised land. It's because when God told him to do one thing, he did another. Joshua is appointed and he takes command. And one of the first things we see in Joshua chapter 1 is God looks at Joshua and says, Do not veer to the left and do not veer to the right, but stay true to the commands of the Lord. No matter what those thousands of people behind you say, no matter what the culture is screaming at you, you stay true to the promises of God. You stay true to the commands of your Savior. And if you look at verse 8, I want you to notice what happened. It said, and the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded. And they took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. Can you imagine being Joshua? He's standing there and he's got this great assembly of people. And he says, all right, guys, we got a plan. We, we have this amazing plan. This Jordan River that you have heard stories how it has swept people away and down it and drowned them. We're going to walk across it. All you got to do is the priests got to put their feet in the water. And the whole nation's going to walk. Can you imagine the thousands of people looking at him? And say, are you crazy? Are you insane? But I want you to notice here, in this passage, before this event even takes place, God gives Joshua the command, hey Joshua, when you get to the other side, build a memorial. Build a memorial to stand for all generations. So that whenever they see those stones sitting there at your encampment, they will be able to show how God kept his promises. Because Joshua and the people of Israel were devoted to the commands of the Lord. I want you to notice here in this passage, the, the Lord commands Joshua 
to take up stones out of the midst of the Jordan. He says, when you get to the depths of the river, pick up the stones that you are standing on and take them to the other side and make a memorial to this event. He said, even Joshua, tell, we even find out that Joshua even took and made a memorial in the midst of the river itself. And whenever they got to the other side and they started stacking up those stones, they say this points to the fact that God has been faithful to his people. That they have been devoted to him. They have not veered from the, to the left or to the right. And he has seen them across the river. Now we might ask, with this wall of water here, and the priest walking, standing there, and the nation of Israel walking across the river, why didn't they just wait till they got to the other side and pick up some stones and build a memorial out of those? Why didn't they just carve something out of wood? Why didn't they just build a sand sculpture right there? Do you notice here? Joshua and the people of Israel are commanded to pick up the stones out of the river. Why is that? Because there's only one way a stone gets from the bottom of the Jordan River into a memorial in Gilgal. Those stones that were on the side of the river, they hadn't been worked smooth by gallons after gallon of water going across them. Those stones that were on the side of the river had not been cleaned by all of those years of water going across it. Those, that, that sand sculpture wouldn't have pointed to the fact that there's only one way those stones got out of that river. And it was because something had to stop the flow of water. They didn't have a way to get them out otherwise. And so God is saying that whenever you build this memorial in Gilgal, and those people look at those stones, they're going to say, I have never seen stones like that before. Those didn't come from the banks of the river. Those came because a miracle happened. Those came because God did a great work to get us where we are because Joshua and the people of God were devoted to him. You see, whenever they saw that memorial, they wouldn't just see a group of people who had crossed and forded an unfordable river, but they would see that it was God who was working through the nation of Israel to do a great work and to provide redemption and a promised land for his people. So they had an absolute focus on the purposes of God. An absolute focus on the diverse devotion of God. And I want you to see where this ends. Look with me in verse 24. He says, This memorial will stand so that all peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. 
Do you see where this is pointing to? You see, if we stop the story right here, we're going to think, and we're going to think that all Joshua is recording here and all that's being told here is that we're talking about the crossing of the Jordan. But there's a greater story coming. There is a greater event that is about to happen. And do you notice that God is saying this memorial at this time when it is built not only serves to look back, but it serves to look forward. It serves to show that the people of God in chapter 6 are about to collapse the city of Jericho. Do you see that? You look here in verses 12 through 13. They cross this river, noticed what they are doing here. In verses 12 and 13, the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gab and the half, I'm sorry, Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh passed over, armed before the people of the Lord, as Moses had told them. About 40,000 ready for war passed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. They are walking across the Jordan River. And as they come up on the other side, they are preparing to do battle. They are preparing to claim the promised land with their own strength. Yet God ends this passage and he says that this memorial will point to the fact that the Lord is mighty, that the hand of the Lord is mighty, and that he should be feared forever. You see, this is forward looking. This is saying God's people are going to march into the promised land and they are going to do it under God's might and not their own. Because once we get... To the sixth chapter, we see that those 40,000 ready for war were not needed. We see that what they needed was some walking shoes and some trumpets. And that was the war they were getting ready to fight. That when the city walls come down, that they are going to find out both people in Jericho and the people of Israel about the mighty hand of God and that he always fulfills his promises. You see, in this chapter, Joshua and the people of Israel are turning a page and they are realizing that their success does not fall upon their own strength, but rather upon the promises of God so that all people may know who he is. You see, as they are looking forward and as they are trusting in the promises of God, they are preparing for one thing. God has them ready for something else. And it is the same for us here at Mount Zion Baptist Church. You see, 131 years ago when this church was founded as Christ Church at Mount Zion, there is no way those people grouped together on this land, could have ever foreseen what was coming. Not only from a national perspective, but just the individual struggles of people just living in a sin-ridden world. Of broken relationships, 
both inside and outside of the church, of, of people hurt by others' sin. Yet, as we celebrate 131 years of Mount Zion Baptist Church, we understand that it is not about celebrating those people, but it is about seeing the church in those 131 years, about seeing a people who were focused on proclaiming the gospel to the area in which this church was founded, about seeing that all who entered the doors would hear about the things of God, that this church is not a testament to the people who donated land so that it would exist, or labor so that they could, uh, for the nails that they put in the walls, but this church exists as a testament to the mighty works of God for the last 131 years. And that as we drive by it, we may remember some good times at VBS and some great times at RAs and GAs and some nice pictures. But what we need to see the most is the mighty hand of God sustaining a people in Chula, Georgia. Sustaining a worship center in Chula, Georgia. No matter what might come. You know, I was told early on in my first permanent ministry position that graveyards at churches were a waste. That no church in their right mind would ever let a graveyard be outside their doors. I can tell you, after having studied theology, that's wrong. Because you see, when we drive by, when we park our cars out front, when we walk in this building, we are saying that we are a people who are trusting in the purposes and promises of God. That we are a people who are devoted to God and we are a people who know that the best and the mightiest is yet to come. Because we know that we serve a God who has a plan, who is working all things according to his purpose. But as we walk around, as we walk around the church and we see that mighty graveyard, we also see something else. Whether we realize it or not, we see a testament to God's faithfulness. And to a group of people proclaiming even beyond the dead that they are trusting in Christ. You see, in the culture that the church was founded in the first century, there were two types of ways that they disposed of your body. You were either cremated or you were thrown into a mass grave. Depending on the wishes of the family, the Romans would cremate you or they would throw your body into a mass grave. It was only the most elite and wealthiest of society that got a designated grave. It was only the most prominent, the Caesars, who got their graves marked. 
But Christianity was founded. And Christians started burying their dead and marking the grave. Why would we do that? Why would early Christians insist that you bury the whole body and then go through the expense of marking the grave? So much so that 2,000 years later, churches across the world still have graveyards attached to them where we bury the whole body and we mark the individual grave. It is because we are a people who believe in resurrection. It is because we are a people who say that Christ is going to come and he is going to gather his church. And so when we bury someone in the grave, we are saying, here lies this person. And when Christ comes to gather his church, they are coming back out. And so when we look at the graveyard attached to the church, when we look at the building attached to the church, it is all a testimony, not to the faithfulness of people, but to the faithfulness of our Savior. That we say, whether dead or alive, when Christ comes, we are part of the body. That whether dead or alive, we have a story to tell about the mighty hand of God working to change lives at Mount Zion Baptist Church. And that that story is going to continue until Christ returns and gathers us home. Because that is our ultimate goal. Do you see here in Joshua chapter 4, God is leading his people and to the land that he has promised them. And today, for those of us gathered here, we celebrate 131 years of God's faithfulness to this people. But we are also looking forward that with the saints from 131 years ago to the saints of today, we look forward to a day when Christ will come riding on the clouds and he will gather his people. And until then, we need to be found faithful and true to be following the gospel. Because we know that even though times are changing, even though it doesn't look like it did 131 years ago, and we dress different and we sing different songs, God is still here. He is still changing lives. And he is still faithful to us here at Mount Zion Baptist Church. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the fact that we can come and we can worship you and that you are doing a mighty work here at Mount Zion. And Lord, we ask that as we go into this time of invitation and this time of response, Lord, that you would focus our hearts and our minds upon you to see ways in which we can, as your people, have a significant impact even here in this small community in Tiff County. For it is in your name that we pray. Amen.